another edition of Talking Football Direct. It's the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week, Germany's top flight really threw us some curveballs. And who better to take a few swings at curveballs is our noted baseball expert, Louis Ambrose. Or, or wait, did, did I miss? Did I, did I get that wrong? <laughs> I am. Please, please don't put me on the spot with baseball questions now, um, because it'll be swinging a miss. Yeah, but I understand you, you know your way around the uh, googly bowls or whatever it is you guys do with your, your flat bat game. Yeah, we can turn this into into talking cricket if you want, but I'm not sure how many people out there are going to be interested in that. Yeah, I'll probably just get up from the mic and let, let it keep rolling, and uh, we'll, I'll see what happens. I'll come back after 45 minutes and you know, see what we got. Yeah, for the sake of everybody, I think it's probably best if you don't. But yeah, no baseball questions, please. Nice, nice. I won't do it. There's so much to talk about with the Bundesliga. 4-2 <laughs> win for Bochum over Bayern München. That is uh, going to provide us with plenty to talk about, uh, as well as a, a noted transfer move, a conversation surrounding maybe an extra little bit of season tacked on to the season in the Bundesliga. Don't worry, it's a non-starter, but it's something to talk about. We will be back with all those and more tidbits from match day 22 in the Bundesliga. But you know, while I have you here, please do subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to this pod wherever you get your pods and leave us a five-star rating and tell your friends and all that. Consider becoming a supporter on Patreon as well, if you like. Our Scandal series is up and running. It's been going on for several weeks now. It will be going for several more weeks. It's all about the biggest scandals in the history of the Bundesliga, so eh, it's a little fun. See you in a minute. Here comes part one of Talking Foosball Direct. This is the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This was match day 22. You know, I mentioned earlier at the top of the show, I'm pretty sure you might have known by now, Bayern München went down 4-2 in Bochum. That is a, a seismic result for the Bundesliga. And, you know, even if it's just a, uh, as the Germans say, a Momentaufnahme, you know, it's a, a moment in time or, or sort of a, we're just capturing a moment here. It does feel like a little bit of a power shift. You know, Bayern had kind of a bad week where a player who had already told them that he wasn't going to be re-signing with them and that he was going to be looking for, for greener pastures elsewhere, Nicolas Zula, that is. A lot of folks thought he might be taking his, you know, strapping torso over to uh, the Premier League, where that sort of thing is appreciated. Um, but no, he's actually going to Borussia Dortmund, uh, which is not something that happens a whole lot to Bayern. felt a little humbling. Bayern decided to release a few stories about him coming back from various breaks, overweight and not eating right. <laughs> really classy, really classy, guys. But yeah, not only that stuff, but the fact that Bayern lost this weekend, Dortmund one, they were three nil winners at Union Berlin. How are you kind of feeling about the sort of temperature of the Bundesliga right now, Louis? The fact that Bayern, who are usually just, you know, boiling over with confidence and great results, kind of took one on the chin this week. Yeah, I, can I say that I think this was probably great for Bayern, like great timing for Bayern right before. So they just opened up this nine point lead over over Dortmund. I don't think it was an accident that on Sunday last week, I think right after Dortmund had lost to Bayer Leverkusen the night before, Bayern announced that Manuel Neuer had undergone surgery. It didn't feel like a complete coincidence to me that that gap opened up to something a little bit healthier. And then they decided this was the time for Neuer to stop playing through injury and to have that problem fixed up before the, the real business end of the Champions League. And now, not that Neuer's absence was to blame or anything, but now they, they lost a game right before the Champions League returns, which will definitely wake them up a little bit before the, the games that really matter for them, I would say, between now and the end of the season start going again. So, firstly, I don't think it is the worst thing that could have happened to them right now. It is, especially in the context of that Niklas Zula transfer to, to Dortmund and losing him for nothing, it's a bit of a kick in the teeth when then halfway through your next game you feel the need to sub your other centre-back, Deo Upamakano, because he was playing so badly that you just had to get 
him out of there and get anyone else on the pitch. Um, I think Tulisa came in and they shuffled things around a little bit. But yeah, it's not every day that you see Bayern lose in the Bundesliga or lose in German football at all. It, isn't it a bit weird that two of the results now have been absolute batterings when they have lost this season? Like they've, I don't know if it's sort of a bit of a Murphy's Law situation or Bayern crumbling a tiny bit or may, not crumbling, but you know, being a little bit vulnerable when things do start to go wrong and then maybe teams clinically taking advantage of that in, in a sort of five, ten minute spell. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a big surprise, obviously. It's a massive surprise that there won't be a, a bigger result this season. But I think it's pretty amazing the way that Bochum didn't just make a game of it, but it was sort of over by half time. Yeah, yeah, that was certainly one of the more shocking aspects of it. The fact that they were 4-1 up at halftime and basically, you know, spent the entire second half just sort of managing the game as best they could, successfully, as it turned out. But also, like, other than the penalty, which, you know, a penalty is a penalty is a penalty, the other three goals that Bochum scored were, like, from the tip-top drawer. I mean... <laughs> Every single one of them was a screamer of, of one type or another. So you, you can't really just look at this game and say it was a fluke or that it was, you know, weird, you know, sort of, I don't know, like <laughs> goals bouncing in off of somebody's ass or whatever. Like this was, at least in the first half, like Bochum just took Bayern to the cleaners. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a lovely little nod in the direction of anyone who talks about the question of the league when you look at Bochum, who are actually having a really good season, but Bochum are the last, or you know, next to Greuterford, who also came up last year, probably the last team that people would look at and say that there's that quality there to score those goals, to you know, clinically hit on the break like they did for the first one. I mean, the finish from Gamboa was eye-catching, but it was the two moments before that that were even more eye-catching, the the nutmeg and the little pass around the corner from Osterhager. It, it's just, like you say, it's out of the absolute top draw. I also think that those goals, the way that those goals went in, and that's not to excuse some of the defending. Uh, Upamakano obviously was was really sloppy. He was also really, really lucky not to give another goal away with a really sloppy attempted back pass. It looked a bit like an impression of Danak Zagadou's mistake against Leverkusen last weekend. <laughs> you know, in a similar part of the pitch as well. So, you know, it could have been five, possibly, if, if Bochum had used that chance a little bit better. But I think the yeah the nature of those goals sort of rubbishes the idea that this was Bayern. Whenever they lose, and I saw it again yesterday after they did lose, the first question to to Julian Nagelsmann on on German TV was about the mentality of the players, and it's like, well, I don't think mentality really stops Gerrit Holtmann finding the top corner from 25 yards out, or stops Christian Gamboa hitting a shot like he has probably never hit a shot before in his life. Although I did see a teammate interviewed after the game say that he scores one of those in training every week, and we just have to take his word for it. Yeah, I think this was just a game that was a great example for the fact that we talk so much or so often it comes down to mentality and not only when Bayern lose, but then especially when teams chasing them lose, people talk about the mentality and not being able to handle the pressure or the expectation. And I think this was a great illustration of the fact that this can just happen to anyone on a certain given day when the opposition's on it and they hit two or three shots that are just spectacular and make the most of your mistakes. This can just happen to teams no matter how good they are. Yeah, yeah. And I would say in a lot of ways, even with Bayern coming into this match day, nine points up, which a lot of us saw as a sort of a hopeless situation uh, in terms of competitive balance, and which is a subject we'll probably be talking about a lot during this podcast. But the feeling that you get from seeing a team like Bochum, who are well down the table, or to be honest, like Gladbach, who, who you know, throttled them in, in the cup, which is kind of a horse of a somewhat different color, but it's still a Bundesliga side. You know, having that cognizance that a team who has struggled or at least looked very limited in the case of Bochum, that they have it in them to really take it to Bayern, the best team in the division, it feels good and it feels like a league should. You know, it, when you have a bad, quote unquote, bad team beating the best team and not just beating them, but just giving them a hiding. Like, that's what a lot of us want. 
from the league. I mean, I, it's a healthy I don't have anything against Bayern. I think Bayern are a, a great team. They are great in Europe. They are great in the Bundesliga. I just want the league to be a bit more competitive. And it always was, right? Before this 10-year run, I mean, yeah. if we call it 10 years, nine years, obviously 10 if you include Dortmund winning the league in 2012 with a huge points tally as well, which was as a 81 points, was a Bundesliga record at the time. I think Bayern in the nine years they've won it since have broken that record six times. And yeah, I mean, no no team in history has hit 81 points before 2012. And now it's happened, I think, seven times in 10 years or whatever. The league was like this. I, you know, I saw someone say today, usually you can't afford to lose four games and, and win the Bundesliga. Well, you you can because Bayern are still miles clear or well, six points clear at the top, but they're still on course for 80, 81 points. It, it would be the highest points tally of any team ever not named Bayern Munich. So you can lose four games. And I think, Matt, like you're saying, <laughs> we'd all love the Bundesliga. or would all enjoy it a little bit more nowadays if teams did lose four or five or six games and still go on to win the title, I think it's a sign of a really healthy, not just league and competition, but the whole football pyramid in Germany, you know, which is maybe less than other countries in Europe, but nonetheless, it's still taken place over the last 10, 15 years. It really is a case of the haves and the have-nots. And you see it at the bottom of the Bundesliga now, Kreuterfurt have yet again come up and they are yet again not even close to looking like a Bundesliga team and they're going to go straight back down. Although, we're going to talk about them later. The, yeah. <laughs> their last six games, things have looked a little different. We'll, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, so maybe they maybe they are maybe they are looking like a Bundesliga team now. <laughs> Shockingly enough. <yeah. laughs> well, exactly, and that's the point. And I think it's, you know, these things like, like Union coming up and doing as well as they've done. The gap between the Erstens Weiter Bundesliga shouldn't be so big that that is such an unusual and sort of enormous feat. And I think the same goes for all the way through the pyramid. The health of German football would be a lot better if teams could come up and hold their own and the financial gap between teams wasn't so stark. Yep, yep, I agree. There's so many factors that have gone into this, but like, I have to be completely honest that like the Bundesliga that I fell in love with and like, you know, the mid aughts through the early, early teens, like the first several six, five, six years that I lived in Germany, that was pretty cool league. You had, you know, different winners every year, every other year, like things were very much in flux. Bayern were, you know, obviously the best team, but, you know, still prone to screwing things up from time to time. It just was a lot more fun and it's been a lot less fun over the last, you know, I don't know, 10 years. <laughs> so let's see if we can bring it back. Okay, let, let, let's circle back to this game. Do you think this loss actually told us anything about where Bayern are at right now in their season, whether that has to do with injury or form or the fact that they, you know, they have a, a pretty big Champions League tie starting coming up on Wednesday. They're traveling to, you know, Salzburg to open up that round of 16. Is there anything that we should actually read into this result or the performance? I think it would be wrong to say that Bayern Munich aren't strong enough or anything like that. But I do think the one question that sort of hangs over them a little bit is the strength of the squad. And, to, you know, they, they still have a bench that's more expensive and more experienced than every other bench in the league. But when you compare them to other teams at their level across Europe and you think if they lost one or two key players to injury or to suspension for any sort of amount of time, the next player that would come into that team is not of the level. And, you know, it also is one thing that I would maybe question Julian Nagelsmann on is how he uses that squad. I, I think it's obviously very difficult to not play that sort of strong, incredible Bayern Munich team to leave Thomas Muller out sometimes or to leave Leo Ezane out the way he's been playing this season. But he said on Friday before the game that Tango Nianzu, who hasn't really played or featured this season after injury, he's back. He said he needs to be more consistent in his performances to sort of earn chances and to get on the pitch. They were having a defensive nightmare and he still didn't get on the pitch. Now, this is a team that wins comfortably most weeks. They can afford 
maybe the slip-ups that a player learning on the job would make in order to allow him to learn on the job. And I think it's a question that, yeah, does need to be posed. You know, uh, Sabitzer has really disappointed since joining in the summer, but he's had no run in the team to sort of work those kinks out and get work himself back into form. So, I mean, like I say, I'm very reluctant to say that Bayern should be stronger, especially after what we just talked about. But I don't see why when they're winning games, they, I mean, they beat Bochum 7-0 the last time the teams met. If you need uh, Tango Inyantu to learn, put him on the pitch in Bundesliga games so he can learn because they're one or two injuries away from him having to play a Champions League game at this rate. So I don't really understand that sort of approach with some of the younger players. And I think, you know, players always develop quicker with more game time and more trust and more minutes on the pitch when it really matters. I could see that as a way for them to bed some of these young players in and, and not just Nianzu, some of the players we've seen on the bench in recent weeks, especially because of the coronavirus cases at the start of the, the Wakanda. I think that's somewhere that they could really improve. And when you have a six or nine point gap at the top of the table, then that's maybe something to do. You know, what's the need for Robert Lewandowski to play 90 minutes every single week? Eh, that, that could be a very difficult question because it might have a lot to do also with, you know, what does Robert Lewandowski want and um, how does he perform if he does get left out or doesn't get to play 90 minutes? That might be something that is is internal to squad dynamics. Okay, I, I, before we leave this particular game behind, I do want to ask at least one question about Bochum because I don't want to um, leave, you know, I don't want to dwell too much on on Bayern's failings and concentrate a bit on on Bochum's strengths. I mean, this certainly will be the biggest feather in their cap of the season. I can't imagine them topping it. I mean, what are they going to do? Are they going to beat Dortmund 9-0? That even that may, maybe wouldn't top it. What do you think has made them such a strong promoted side? I mean, this is obviously they're not completely out of the woods like if the wheels could still fall off for them, they are what six points clear of, of a you know relegation playoff spot. So if they take some sort of a tumble, things could still go wrong. But this is looking like a pretty comfortable promoted side compared to a lot of the ones that we've seen in recent years. What do you see as their sort of key strengths? I think it's the truth for Union Berlin as well. I think they've got promoted and then played the way that they've got them promoted in the first place. And I think we see so many teams come up from the side of Bundesliga and then it's all about defensive football and protecting your goal and not showing that much ambition and not that Bundesliga side shouldn't be shown respect but showing far too much respect maybe teams I'm not saying it's the case but they look sometimes like they don't believe they belong in the Bundesliga competing with the teams that they're up against I don't see that with with Bochum when I've watched them this season I certainly haven't seen that from Union since they were promoted and for me that's always the key though those are the most impressive sides in any league that get promoted and hold their own sides that play like they belong and I wouldn't say they don't fear anyone but they play like they don't fear anyone they play like they respect Bayern but they don't respect Bayern too much to just let Bayern play against them that can obviously not work out and you can lose 7-0 away against Bayern and you can play against Dortmund and I mean Bochum in the game against Dortmund were were battered but held on for a 0-0 draw or a 1-0 draw sorry I think the key really is to play true to your strengths and in the Bundesliga when you have teams you know this is a bonus result when you have teams like Hertha and Augsburg and Furt and Bielefeld below you or around you in the in the battle to stay up in the league you've just got to make sure you take enough points from those games and I think Bochum have gone into games against the top teams the same way they've gone into games against those teams I think when you come up and you sit back and try and play nil-nil and grab a goal from a free kick or a corner or something I think that mindset easily becomes you know that sort of you feel like you're not good enough to compete and that's just not the way to stay in the Bundesliga when there are enough teams that don't have huge amounts of quality that you can take points off of if you go toe-to-toe with them. Yeah, I would totally agree. And I think that those teams, whether it's Union of a couple of years ago or, or Stuttgart of last year, teams that sort of basically trust 
not only the the squad that they have, but like the sort of tactical philosophy that they've been working with, their like, you know, recruitment strategy that they've been working with as opposed to sort of just throwing it all out and, you know, <laughs> parking the bus. Like those are the teams that succeed, I think. And that's exactly what we've seen in the Pokal this season as well, which has seen so many teams cause upsets and mm-hmm. get all the way through to the quarterfinals. St. Pauli and, and Haas Foul. They've played against Bundesliga sides and they've played against them the exact way that has got them fighting for promotion from the side of Bundesliga and it's worked. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, speaking speaking of Erste uh, FC Union Berlin, not the greatest weekend for them. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, they lost 3-0 at home to Dortmund. This was, um, you know, definitely a big, big win for Dortmund, not only because it brought them three points closer to Bayern, six-point gap now, but I think it was also a, a big, uh, I don't know, a statement win, if, if you will, not only because they had such a bad loss last weekend against Leverkusen, where they, you know, took a lot of rightful stick, but, um, you know, to go away to the Alta Fosterai, which is, you know, a stadium that a lot of teams struggle in, they just killed Union. They just blitz them off the park. They they you know really aggressive performance, a lot of like quick verticality that made Union's press look like a joke. I was super impressed with this performance. So in a way that I you know so many times when you watch Dortmund you expect to not be that impressed other than like <laughs> that one 15 minute stretch where they were really good. This was a great game from them. He's been injured quite a lot this season. It's the first time I've watched Dortmund this season and nobody's mentioned Erling Haaland. Yep. Whether he's mm-hmm. playing or not. It's the first time he's missed quite a lot of games. Dortmund have won quite a lot of those games as well. It's the first time I've watched him and the commentary haven't at some point brought him up and I think that kind of says it all that you, you didn't notice that he wasn't there. I mean, looking a little bit more long-term, that's obviously something for Dortmund to take into the future, that they can put on a performance like that without him. I think that this was... I think the key really was... Well, two things. There was the sort of fortunate injuries mm-hmm. with uh, Thomas Mounier and Marius Wolf both missing at right-back, which meant Manuel Akanji played at right-back. And... I don't know if part of the thinking there... I mean, I don't think there was that much of a choice but to play Akanji at right back. But we all know how incredibly strong Union are at getting the ball into the box, especially from dead ball situations. Dortmund had Akanji, they had Hummels, they had Zagadou, and they had Axel Witzel in midfield. All these sort of big, strong, good-in-the-air kind of players. So Union's big strength was taken away but negated a little bit by a selection that Dortmund didn't really have much choice but to use which which always helps when something like that plays into your hands and I think the other key was just the fact that Dortmund did score when they were on top early and they've gone to out of the last two seasons since Union were promoted and gone behind and I think it's the maybe you know the Allianz in our side. I think it's the worst place in the in the in the whole league to go a goal down. I think the you know the fans, especially when there are fans there, and there were ten thousand today. I think the fans are great. They just constantly make noise. It's it feels kind of like a cup game playing Union away when the noise is constant. The fans believe in this real underdog story, even if they're coming into the weekend fourth in the table. And Dortmund haven't handled that and they haven't had the set pieces well in recent seasons. And that first goal just opens the game up against a team that usually looks so solid and organised defensively. Suddenly the onus is on Union to make the game happen. And to, from there you see Dortmund's second goal comes from a long ball forward, which usually usually you would expect like three or four Union players there to deal with a situation like that and it's just a long ball forward between two of the centre-backs and Donya Marlon is just in a race out of nowhere it's the last kind of goal I would expect Union to concede and I don't think it happens without the first goal of the game coming before that so yeah it was a good performance from Dortmund it was a performance that was really necessary, like you said, after last weekend. And especially, I mean, they came into this weekend nobody, and I think it, most people still would think that that's sort of Bayern's title in the Bundesliga this season. But that means Dortmund only have the Europa League left to play for. And that gets going on Thursday again, for them anyway. And now they don't go into it off the back of being smashed by Leverkusen and then losing to Union and starting to worry about 
if they're going to be in the top four at the end of the Bundesliga season. Instead, people are talking about maybe they can catch Bayern and they go and play Rangers at home on Thursday after a really, really positive result. Yeah. Any particular thoughts about their, you know, how things look going into Thursday? I can't say that I've watched a minute of uh, Rangers play this season, so Uh, I have zero insight, but... You know, I, I watched. I think a few weeks ago as uh, the first time I've watched Rangers since Steven Gerrard left uh, for the Premier League, mm. and Celtic <laughs> completely ripped them apart. To be honest, they were pinned back in their own half for the first half of the game. They were three 0 down at half time, and Celtic just sort of let them have the ball for the second half. I, I think it's an interesting one because Rangers only really play a team at their level a few times a season in the league and then whenever they play in Europe as well and they I don't think they look too strong they qualified for this round of the Europa League courtesy of being one of the best third place finishers I think in the group stage so I I mean I think it would be a, a pretty huge upset if they managed to shock Dortmund especially with the first leg being in Dortmund on Thursday you'd expect them to go over to Scotland with a lead yeah, I suspect that that'll be how things go. Okay, I want to draw you into one of maybe maybe your favorite subjects. I know you've written about it uh, recently. I'm going to make this little connection between Union's trouble in this game and truthfully trouble in, in, in a second consecutive game, a second loss anyway, since selling one Max Kruse. And then meanwhile, Max Kruse in his new digs at the uh, the Volkswagen Arena scored the winner for Wolfsburg after having uh, earned a penalty the hard way after taking a massive hit from Martin <laughs> Interega. Yeah, 2-0, 2-0 result for, for Wolfsburg. Dodi Lukabakio actually reminded us that he can, in fact, score goals with a, a nice, actually very nice lashing shot in injury time. But really the upshot here is the, the diverging fortunes of uh, Union and Wolfsburg in the two fixtures or two match weeks that have, have followed the uh, the movement of Max Kruse. Is this just cosmic fortune, you know, favoring favoring teams who have Max Kruse in their squad? Uh, I don't know if I'd call it cosmic fortune, but I think it's something. Um, if any player yeah, deserves cosmic fortune, it is, <laughs> it's, it's, it's him. And if any player in the Bundesliga believes in such a thing as cosmic fortune I think it's probably him as well he was uh, we were talking about this before we started recording he was the guest on sports studio last night the the highlight show that show all of the goals and from the Bundesliga on a Saturday evening and uh, you know they then there's a weekly guest and they usually get pretty good interviews out of them better interviews than you'd expect from most people in the football business more often than not. And they flashed up a graphic at one point and asked Max Kruse why it is that teams that he signs for on average finish two places higher in his first season with them and teams that he leaves finish six places lower, incredibly, the first season without him. I think that speaks for itself that I don't think this is an accident. I, yeah, uh, I mean, a few, just a few weeks ago, they're still there for one point, Union with, with Leipzig in fourth. But just a few weeks ago, you sort of would look at the league table and think there was a real chance of Union being in the Champions League next season. And I think not just these last two results, but not having Max Kruse, I think that's disappeared. Personally, I, I don't think there's any way they'll keep up now and with that sort of race between now and the end of the season with so many clubs. And Wolfsburg have gone from looking completely hopeless and everybody wondering how the hell Florian Colford was still in the job to looking like they might quite comfortably survive uh, in the space of two weeks or a week. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? It is. It is. And, and you know, I, I think we addressed it in last week's show because the the move had already uh, taken place and we talked a little bit about the sort of audacious honesty or, or honest audacity of, of, of Max Cusa and his discussion of, of the, the, the grounds for his move, which is basically like, you know, I wasn't planning to stay at this club anyway. And... Wolfsburg waved a bunch of money in my face and I get a chance to play for a coach that I like. So like, why wouldn't I do this? I feel like, uh, <laughs> I just feel like he's a guy who the number of times that he's moved and the number of times that he's sort of like, you know, enchanted one group of fans after another, like this just feels entirely appropriate that he just turns up at, at his new old club and like everyone's in love with him again. It's, it's just wild. 
I think you you mentioned that I wrote something about him recently after this transfer and I think I wrote in there basically something along the lines of he's probably the only player in German football who could do this and nobody would seem to be too upset about it. Just make this transfer from what's considered kind of a cult club in Germany to a, a commerce club, if you want to call them that. And nobody seems to mind, even though he said, yeah, yeah, I did it because of the money. It's remarkable, and I think it speaks so much for him as a person. I think even more than that, it speaks for football fans and how football fans will treat people in football with respect, even if they completely disagree with them and can't identify with them. I think they will treat people with respect or revere people as long as, and I mean players and coaches and owners or whatever, as long as they're showing that same respect. And I feel like that's sort of the fan relationship. And as a, as a you know, fan of a club that Max Kruse has never played for, but just as a football fan, as a, as a fan of German football, that's my relationship with Max Kruse is I respect all of those decisions because he tells me that he's making them because he knows that I'm not an idiot and that we all know that this is why people in football make decisions. It, it, he seems to be the only one or one of very few that just come out and say it how it is. And there is something endearing about that, that he that he sort of looks us in the eye and says, yeah, I know that you don't really like what I'm doing, but I'm just going to tell you why I'm doing it anyway. And we all just accept it and move on. Yep. Yep. I was a little bit interested to hear some of the quotes coming out of that uh, Actuella Sports Studio interview about him. One of the reasons why he was pretty clear that he didn't want to stick around at Union, other than the fact that he was probably pretty sure he would get paid better somewhere else, was that he was not that psyched about how things were going for him at the club this season as far as getting substituted a lot, not feeling like he was really all that central to things, and and just kind of feeling like maybe Urs Fischer didn't particularly view him as as a you know special player as much as a, a, a luxury player, which – Kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder about that dynamic between Urs Fischer and Max Kruse. And I think Max Kruse on the pitch works very hard. Off the pitch, you know, maybe not. He works yeah. hard at other things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Off the pitch. Uh, you know, he, he... Many, many other things. <laughs> he was, they had Christopher Kramon uh, sort of pose a few questions or comments via video that he'd recorded before the show clearly as well and and he mentioned Max Kruse having the body of not a professional footballer let's say then Kruse said yeah I just wear an extra small shirt it's fine and then that's why I look like that he yeah he doesn't take himself too seriously but I think when it comes to as a footballer, I think he takes himself extremely seriously and it's hard to see or understand the both sides of Max Kruse. But as soon as he steps on a pitch, I don't think anyone takes it more seriously than him. And I think Urs Fischer maybe wants his players to take it more seriously off the pitch as well. And it, and, and there's no room at Union, the way that Union play, the way they set up, the way I always have played. There's no room for a star player who has exceptions made for him. Yeah, whether that be on or off the pitch, and I think it was instructive in the in the interview last night that Kruse never said Urs Fischer's name. He just kept saying the coach, and then they spoke about his time uh, or moving to back to Wolfsburg and, and reuniting with Florian Kofeld. And he didn't say the coach, and he didn't even say Florian Kofeld. He just kept saying Flo. And he even brought up himself in the interview that the age gap between him and Florian Crawford isn't too much. I think he said Crawford's 39, puts the gap at, what, like six years. And it, there was very much the feeling of th this is more somebody that he, hierarchically speaking, is on the same level as. And that's much more the relationship that Max Cruiser wants with his coach than to be treated like another one of the players. Yeah, he wants to spend time with his kumpels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's take a little break. We'll, we'll come back with part two. This is part two of Talking Foosball Direct. This is the part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone. This is match day 22. Matt Herman here 
with Lewis Ambrose. Before we jump into results, I want to sort of dip our toe into the raging pool of of debate surrounding some comments made by the new head of of the, the Deutsche Fußballliga that's uh, Donata Hopfen who you know took over the long serving Christian Seifert's role uh, at the at the beginning of this year kind of created some waves earlier this week by saying that uh, it, I think this was a kicker interview maybe that she was open to a lot of I don't know a lot of new ideas let's just say including things like playing the super cup abroad or even playoffs yeah <laughs> playoffs um yeah she said that having playoffs in the Bundesliga would be something that they would they would consider, which really really set a lot of people off in the league. I think what she was trying to signal there is that you know she was keeping an open mind about the future of the d f l about the future of the Bundesliga, and that she recognizes that Bayern winning the league by you know double digit point tallies as they do sometimes ten years running is bad for the league. Oddly enough, the one club that seemed to say that they were open to this idea, or at least where Oliver Kahn was, was Bayern. And just about everyone else in the league has just chimed in to say that this is a terrible idea. I mean, where do you stand on this? Is this Does it make any sense? I'm definitely more on the side of everybody else in the league, uh, if you want to break it into those two camps. Yeah, I, I think... It's nice, firstly, to see that sort of admission that maybe things need to be changed because the system isn't really working for, well, for anyone. And, and that includes Bayern Munich. I think their their acceptance of this idea or openness to this idea was the first time that I've seen, and I think it's a coincidence that it hasn't come in the Hunis Rummenigge regime, but from what's followed it, the acceptance of the idea that the Bayern actually need the Bundesliga to be strong as well. There's no point the Bundesliga getting weaker and Bayern getting stronger and it's going to cost them money. It's going to cost them money that is going to cost them the chance to compete in the, for the Champions League and keep hold of their best players or attract world-class players. It's going to cost them that sort of competitive edge of being challenged every week eventually. And then they go into Champions League games against the top clubs from other leagues in Europe. And they're going to be surprised by the level that they come up against one day. So... Yeah, I, I'm not that surprised that Bayern were more open to the idea than others. The idea itself, I think, is pretty stupid, personally. I mean, I think the playoff system in in the States, across all of their sports, works quite nicely, but in a completely different environment with drafts and you know, tanking and things like that. And there are no cup competitions in American sports, which means you need somewhere like as sports fans you need this knockout element to exist somewhere along the way but we have that in the form of the Champions League or the DFB Pokal or all of those competitions in, in Europe as well so I think that there isn't space there isn't the need for a knockout competition to be introduced I also struggle to see how seriously we'd all sit here and take a 34 game season if we were told that the team that were top at the end of the season didn't get anything for it that and it just sort of seems ridiculous when you say it out loud that we'd bother to watch 34 games a season. I know there are American sports as well where you watch a lot of games more, way more in baseball than 34 games a season, but you don't have a system where every team plays each other an equal number of times, home and away. You know, yeah. you, you have teams sometimes don't play each other in an entire season unless they meet in the playoffs or some teams will play teams geographically closer to them four or five times and then they'll play another team from across the country twice or something. So I, I think in that sense, it, it doesn't make any sense to introduce this into, into European football and, and one of the biggest leagues in Europe. There have got to be better ways to figure out how to have a, a slightly more competitive Bundesliga. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. I feel like obviously I am somebody who grew up with playoffs, and you know I was talking to you also before we started um, broadcasting. Like for example, I'm not a terribly big American football fan, but like I love the playoffs. I'll watch the hell out of the NFL playoffs because the playoffs are, are fun. They're intrinsically fun. <laughs> they they increase fan interest. They increase you know ratings. They increase commercial buy money. I can see why they want it for that reason. But like in the structure of a, of a Bundesliga or a Premier League or Serie A or whatever, in that form where every team plays every other team home and away and 
then we're done. Like, there's just no reason for a playoff. Like, as you, as you said, the, the unbalanced schedule of North American sports provides impetus for playoffs to have meaning. And if you don't have the unbalanced schedule, there's no point. It just, it feels tacked on and artificial. I mean, I guess the, the, the thing that comes to mind for me is like, if we think that the Bundesliga model is not working and that Bayern are too dominant and there are analogs in many other leagues, whether it's one team like Bayern or, or Paris Saint-Germain or, you know, in other leagues where there's two or three or five or however many teams who are just head and shoulders above the rest. Like, I would much prefer to see not a Super League like the Super League that was proposed last year and you know, died a thousand deaths. But like, if we think that like national leagues are not competitive like they should be or like fans would like them to be, let's figure out an open, you know, a new rung on the pyramid. Like where where teams who are just too damn good for their own league can spend a year or spend as long as they get to stay there in terms of their performance. But, you know, just another another rung in the open system. Yeah, I mean, I was against the Super League, the form of the Super League that, that was there, that was proposed. I'm not against ideas to increase competitiveness. I'm against the playoffs. I mean, I, I also think, you know, you can get situations then when, when Bayern are 15 points clear and already qualified for the playoffs and then play a really weakened side. And, you know, and then you have questions about competition fairness when maybe a team gets, or not promoted, but a team avoids relegation because they beat a weak Bayern team because Bayern had no reason to put out a strong team because they'd already qualified for the playoffs. It, wouldn't it be, imagine their egg on the faces of everybody at the DFL. If they introduced playoffs, Bayern didn't finish top of the league and then won the playoffs anyway. And then everyone was like, oh yeah, Dortmund or Leverkusen or whatever or whoever aren't the real champions after winning the league because Bayern beat them in a one-off game. It, it, it sounds so embarrassing that I can completely imagine it happening that somebody else would pip Bayern to first position in the first year with playoffs and then I'd lose their playoff semi-final against whoever and Bayern would then end up as champions anyway and it would be the worst look imaginable for the DFL if something like that happened. I think, you know, that randomness is, is great and good in sport, but it shouldn't go beyond these fair competitive realms as well. I don't see, as football fans in, in Germany, in this country, or in Europe generally, I think, you know, when like you said, you grew up with playoffs and you like playoffs and you understand the need for playoffs in American sports. I don't think fans in Germany would take to playoffs when they've just watched a 34 game season and then they get told somebody isn't the champion it, it would all feel a little bit farcical I think to fans in Europe who have only grown up with the, the league system that currently exists so I think there have got to be ways to do it I would love to see a better share of money I would love to see UEFA and you know this is the problem because if you do anything in Germany Bayern and, and and the other teams that play in Europe are never going to agree to it because it's going to weaken them when they then play in the Champions League or the Europa League against their competitors. I'd love to see UEFA say that the Champions League prize money doesn't belong to the teams but belongs to leagues. And Bayern, Dortmund, Leipzig, whoever goes furthest in the Champions League doesn't get more money than not only Bayern or Dortmund or Leipzig, but all of that Champions League money that was raised get shared between the 18 Bundesliga teams or the 36 Bundesliga and Zweite Bundesliga teams evenly. I, mean, I think that money would make a huge difference. At the moment, you have a situation where Bayern win every year in the Bundesliga and they get the most prize money for that and the most TV money for that and they go furthest in the Champions League and they get the most money for that and it just entrenches their position at the top of German football. It's like they're top because they're top is kind of the reasoning behind that. Why the all of the money, at least in the closed system of the Bundesliga, without taking UEFA competitions into account, isn't shared evenly between every single team? I will never understand. That you know the league doesn't exist without Bochum and Fürth and Bielefeld as much as it doesn't exist without Dortmund and Bayern. They will play as many games. Those TV rights are all sold as a package. You don't sell Bayern TV rights separately from. TV rights for those other clubs. 
and that money would actually also not make a huge amount of difference from for Bayern if you just took a few million away from them. And I, I remember seeing this discussed a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, I remember that too. Take a few million away from Bayern, and and like you're not going to harm Bayern. And I think the argument that I strangely saw at the time from a prominent Bundesliga journalist was, ah, well, Bremen aren't going to catch Bayern because Bremen will get three million extra a year. And no, of course they wouldn't. But Bremen would maybe be able to hold on to one or two better players for an extra season or make a transfer that would improve their position. And maybe they would be able to take points off Bayern a little more often. And if you spread that throughout the league and then you have a result like the Bochum result this weekend, doesn't become a once every five years thing, but a once every season or two or three times every season kind of thing, then you just start to squash that gap between Bayern and the rest. As it is right now, we see it every single year. A team surprisingly gets into the European places. I mean, look at that Frankfurt team a few years ago, and it just gets ripped apart. Union have, have lost key players. We just talked about Max Kruse. And this season, Robert Andrich has been brilliant for Leverkusen because they can offer him more money than Union can. And the DFL, for me, that's that's where to start. The DFL needs to do a hell of a lot more to make sure the financial disparity that runs through the league is at least not worsened year on year like it is right now. Yeah. I think we've thrown out a lot of uh, potential ideas on how to make <laughs> things a little better. And uh, lo and behold, playoffs is not one of them. But <laughs> if there were playoffs, you know, I, I suspect it would probably be some kind of four-team playoff or six teams with, with a first-round bye for the for top two or whatever. And really, the teams that would really benefit the most are probably teams like Leipzig, like Leverkusen. And they, they did well. They did well in the real-world Bundesliga of this weekend, which we probably should get back to. I mean, we've spent a lot of time talking about these other big issues, and I think that is all well and good. Let's just touch on what happened on, on you know, match day 22. Yeah, Leipzig, big march up the table under Domenico Tedesco. It continued this weekend. 3-1 win on Friday night uh, against Cologne. Christopher Nkunku, Scored the opener on a really nice free kick. Uh, the other two goals, though, weren't, weren't so bad either. Danny Olmo, really nice, like, cross body, just dart into the, the, the lower left corner of the goal. Angelino capped off a super well-worked counter. Cologne, they scored a garbage-time goal right before the death, so not really, really worth talking about. So, <laughs> Leipzig... As you mentioned earlier, they're level on points, not only with Union, but with with Freiburg, with Hoffenheim, with a whole crowd. But for my money, they're not letting go of fourth place. They're 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 up there and they're gonna stay there, yeah. I'm gonna disagree. Yeah. Yeah, like the results have got better, but I haven't been convinced by Leipzig under under Tedesco. And I think, you know, they did win quite convincingly, obviously, on Friday. Uh, but they also scored with their first three shots. And I just think that sort of thing doesn't it doesn't keep happening. And uh, the last few weeks, uh, well, I, I actually think that the game they were best in was the game against Bayern, mm-hmm. uh, when yeah, they obviously lost. Uh, I thought they were really good that day. And that was the first time I've watched them, well, in 2022 at least, and thought that they were really good and it looked like things had changed. I thought the Cone game was was fine as well, but I think, you know, on the balance of things, maybe when they were 3-0 up, you would usually just expect to be 1 or possibly 2-0 up, and then you've still got a game on your hands. And before that, against Wolfsburg, a pre-Max Kruse of Wolfsburg, and, and against Stuttgart as well, who have been awful for, for large parts of the last few months. They won, but I didn't feel like they were definitely better than Wolfsburg or Stuttgart in those games so I don't know the difference between Leipzig and and Hoffenheim and Freiburg and Union for me right now is just that they have Christopher Nkunku and nobody else in the league does and if they do finish fourth I think that's the reason why but I wouldn't be surprised to see Hoffenheim in, in particular give them a really good run for their money. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Hoffenheim. We'll we'll get to them uh, towards the end, but I, I I see them as as a potential threat. Yeah, in Kunku, apparently Congo, he he has pinned his future to Congo. How much can one man dislike Didier Deschamps? Or, or how much can Didier Deschamps dislike one man for that to happen? Well, I mean, it's, France. If, if yeah. there's one country that like. 
constantly has like at least one, if not several, really good players who like their crazy idiosyncratic coach decides he doesn't like. <laughs> like this is just the last like four coaches for this team. There's always somebody looking on the outside looking in who everyone in the rest of the world is like, what are you doing? Yeah, and you'll still have like you know that the the World Cup at the end of the year that the players like Usman Dembele or uh, Anthony Martial, like a couple of those guys will still go to the World Cup for France, definitely. And Nkunku will be sat at home watching it with his feet up, nice and cosy. It's it's really strange. France, you know, it's tough as well. Obviously, France, France could probably put a B team out of the World Cup and still get really, really far into the competitions and meet their own other French eleven in the quarterfinals or something because the depth of talent is just so remarkable. But at the same time, for something like this to happen, and I find it particularly like it, it just feels untactful as well, if that's a word, which I'm pretty sure it is, to allow this to happen. Why has you play so many as one of the top European nations like Germany? You play so many games. Uh, you know, competitive games that you can tie a player up in and make sure he can't go and play for somebody else. And when he then launches himself with a season like Nkunku's had this season, well, it doesn't matter if he's kind of fed up with the coach. Who knows, might change in a year anyway. He won't go and play for Congo because FIFA won't let him. Uh, and, to not, and to not use him in a qualifier against... A, I mean, I don't know who France played in their qualifying rounds, but let's just say one of the minnows of European international football to not play him against one of those sides that they surely played against during the qualification for the World Cup doesn't make any sense. Just put him in a squad and bring him on for 10 minutes and then no one else can play him. And maybe the next coach does actually like him and does want to use him. And then French football has this enormous talent. It's, yeah, it's very strange it's also nice for Congo and I think it's very nice to see it happening all of this talent that's eligible for for African sides especially sometimes do go and play for the African sides and it we're going to need things like that you know with the second third generation immigrants going back and playing for sort of the, the nations that their their parents or their grandparents migrated from because European football is so rich that it's great to see this happening and maybe kind of level the playing field a little bit when it comes to developing football long term and, and having competitive nations from all over the world turning up at international tournaments. Yep. Apparently he's denied this oh. in, in, in recent hours, which is a bit disappointing because I want to see him play internationally and not not, not sit behind Anthony friggin' Martial. Come on now. But I agree. I, I, I loved it. I loved seeing Sebastian Allaire deciding to go play for Cote d'Ivoire. I, mm-hmm. you know, France right now is just an unholy incubator of talent. And like, there are more than you know, 20 some international worthy players who were raised in France. So, you know, I would love it if he did go and make that decision down the line, even if he's not ready to go there yet. Imagine the international squad of players you could make out of French players who could have played for somebody else. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, the other team we were mentioning as, as being, you know, another playoff contender, uh, is Leverkusen. They were 4-2 winners in in a game against uh, Stuttgart that, you know, 4-2 sounds probably a little bit more comprehensive than it was. It was a 2-1 game up until, you know, five minutes left. But then you had this weird sequence of Florian Wirtz and then Thiago Thomas scoring at the other end and then Patrick Schick scoring at the other end. So lots of thrills, the last, last little bit of that game. Yeah, Oddly enough, Stuttgart sporting director Sven Mislintat seemed pretty okay with how things were going. I mean, obviously when things are going as bad as they are in terms of where they are on the table, he gets a lot of questions about whether he's going to stay the course, et cetera, et cetera. And he was still sticking to his gun saying, you know, if we play like this most weeks against most opponents, we're going to come away with some points. Is he living in, in Candyland? Is this, is this a realistic way to look at things? I think Pellegrino Matarazzo said something kind of similar as well, at least on the same lines. Uh, I don't know. 
I think you go to a game like that, like Leverkusen away and the former Leverkusen are in, who, you know, for my money might be even the second best team in the Bundesliga this season behind Bayern. I think that you go into that game and anything is a bonus and, and competing is sort of what you ask of the players and not that they go out and win and turn the current run of form around in that one game. So it must have been frustrating to play pretty well and not get a result, but I'm pretty sure they were looking down the road and and genuinely believing and thinking, well, if we play like that most weeks, then we will get enough points to to get ourselves out of the relegation zone. So it's sort of that two sides of the coin. I don't, like, I don't think saying things like that after losing to a really good Leverkusen side is a reason for people to, for anyone to get the pitchforks out. But when we get to this stage of the season, the end of the season starts to look very, very near, very, very quickly. And Stuttgart, uh, yeah, a four-point gap doesn't sound like very much, but it starts to look like an enormous gap when if they just go two or three or four more games without a win and it grows into five or six points with kind of 10, 11 games to go, then you're in huge trouble. So I'm sure looking down the road, they've got Bochum next week. I think that's when you need to say that you can't say, oh, if we play like this most weeks, like it, next week has to be most weeks and they have to win that one. And if they don't, then they're in big trouble. Yeah. Real quick on Leverkusen, you mentioned you, you felt they have some, you know, argument that they might be the second best team in the division, which, you know, the proof will be in the pudding uh, uh, by the end of the season. That's what we have a league table for. Exactly. Exactly. But And we like the league table. We do. We love the league table. We don't like the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> Boo! They don't have to play a sort of one of those qualifying type games in the, in the Europa League, so they're not in action over the next couple of weeks. They're they're out until March when they they start back up. Who knows who they're going to be playing? How do you like their chances to to go out and, and win the Europa League? I think they could beat anybody else that's in the Europa League, and I think we saw that with the the game against Dortmund last week. I think some of these games and like you say we don't know who they'll be playing yet but teams in the Europa League <laughs> tend to be pretty good football teams and you'd look at some of the favourites and you have the likes of uh, Dortmund will be up there Porto and I see no reason why, why Leverkusen can't beat those sides especially because those sides will all be looking at the other teams in the Europa League and thinking they can win it as well. And I think that plays into Leverkusen's hands uh, with Florian Wurz, with Karim Bellarabi and, and Moussa Diaby and the movement of Patrick Schick on the break. I think they could, we saw it last week over and over again, they can rip pretty much any team in the world apart given time and space to counter-attack. In, in cup football and in cup football against teams who maybe fancy themselves a little bit, that's absolutely perfect. And that, I mean, it's paying off right now in the Bundesliga against teams who are sitting back against them and not allowing them the sort of space they'll get when they when they meet an opponent that thinks they're at least on the same level. So, yeah, I, I think Leverkusen every year, we just have this conversation every year or almost every year that maybe this is the Leverkusen side that's really good. And then it gets to the spring and it turns out they weren't. So maybe we'll find out that this is all nonsense in a couple of months when they somehow finish sixth and don't win any of their last 10 games of the season. But I think this is a really, really good team. And I think on their day, they could pretty much beat anybody. Yep. Yep. I agree. I would love to see them finally, uh, <laughs> win another title. It's been what? 30, <laughs> about 30 years. Another team other than Stuttgart, who are very, very deep in, the shit is Hertha. They lost away to Kreuter Fürth, which is never a good sign for any team. They conceded 25 seconds in to this match. They didn't get on the board themselves until the final 10 minutes of the match, despite racking up a season high 26 shots, which, you know, <laughs> might sound good, but mostly they were bad shots. A lot of shots not really on target or not particularly testing the goalkeeper. So yeah, Hertha are hopeless right now. They concede early quite frequently or they, you know, have bad first halves and sort of get themselves into a hole. Typhon Corkut has started doing some weird things with his lineups, weird team selection things, playing Suat Serdar either on the wing or not playing him at all. Very worrisome times um, for them. Um, but because I don't really want to dwell on that right now. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I want to talk about Fürth because Fürth have actually been pretty good the last couple of months. They 
I guess this is their second home win in a row, which for them is like a whole new epoch. <laughs> they had never won a single home game in the Bundesliga until last month when they beat Mainz. But they've picked up a very respectable nine points from uh, a possible 18 over the last six. Only one loss in that stretch. What in the world is going on? <laughs> a look kind of like a Bundesliga team at the moment. I, I already said earlier that they didn't. So... Those are your words, not mine. But they kind of do in the last few weeks. A hell of a lot more than they did the first few weeks or the first few months of the season when it felt for a little while like we were on course to see a kind of Schalke-type relegation where a team just sort of lost basically every single game or didn't win at all for pretty much an entire season. So... Yeah, they're doing all right. And it's nice, like, we've just, I mean, with the playoff talk and Bayern last week going nine points clear and then having the result they had this weekend, it's obvious that it's going to be a topic. But this is good. This is the sign of a healthy league where teams can go on, like every team in the league could go on a run of four or five games where they look good and they look competitive. And we just, you know, it came to an end this weekend, but we've seen it with Bielefeld as well. It's... A really good sign for the Bundesliga when that stuff happens. So, yeah, I think it's really nice. I think Foot are still way too far back to catch anybody. And I wonder as well if that's played into it a little bit. And, and talking about the success of Bochum earlier, where they just play their football, I wonder if the pressure of trying to pick up points to survive has been taken off of Foot's shoulders because they were so far behind. And now they are actually just going out there and playing. And lo and behold, it works. Yeah, yeah, it'll definitely be something to keep an eye on. Gladbach, another team of the, the sort of, you know, bigger, bigger sides who have been in some trouble, did get a win. They uh, were 3 2 winners at home to Augsburg. And, but I feel like appropriately enough, they didn't actually, they, they like had to sweat a little bit. Like they went two up and then they gave up a goal. And then they went, you know, uh, uh, it was at 2 1, they scored to make it 3 1, but they still just couldn't hold it in until the, the final whistle. They, they allowed another goal with about a minute or two to go in the game so that they had to sweat a little bit more. Like, I just feel like Gladbach, this has been a season where they, they're not going to just get away with it. Like something, something's just, they're going to have to suffer a little bit. Something's broken at, at Gladbach. And I think at this point of the season and the way it's been going, you almost, like, they're not going to reach their goals for the season, which as they were at the start of the season, which for, for Gladbach is always to be around the European places and, and hopefully playing in Europe the following year. And now at this point, you can only lose because you either end up nowhere or relegated. And I think it was a big win because they've sort of opened up a small gap to the teams below them and a couple more wins and you'd say they're pretty much safe. And I think that's all now there is really to play for the season. We've got a lot of weird contract situations at the club and it sort of accidentally became a bit of a transitional year that maybe wasn't supposed to be one. There was the whole situation with Max Erbo. It's a first season for Adi Hutter, who I think, A, they believe in, and B, hasn't been sacked because they just spent so much money to get him and they don't want to just flush that down the drain and give up on it at the first opportunity. So they've kind of just sort of clung on and gone, yeah, he'll figure it out and he better figure it out because otherwise we have no idea what we're going to do. But, you know, Matthias Ginter is leaving, Denis Sakir has left, Alessandro Player has a year on his contract at the end of the season. So it's turned into this weird transitional year with a new coach, Erbo has gone, and now they're kind of stuck between the team that Marco Rosa had, had helped build with Herbal and put together and whatever the team will look like next season. And now between now and May, the last 10, 11, 12 games is just about getting to the end of it unscathed or as unscathed as possible so they can build some sort of platform, hopefully over the next few months to build on next season and have what they would actually deem a successful season then. Yeah, I think <laughs> the more fans are given the luxury to look ahead to next season, which is to say 
keep the drop zone at arm's length, the better everybody's going to feel. Two more games that occurred on the weekend, which we probably won't really have much time to, 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 to address. Freiburg and Mainz drew... 1-1, you know, certainly certainly Freiburg is still very much in that mix of teams all level on 34 points from, you know, fourth through seventh place. Mites starting to feel a little bit more like a team that may have hit their ceiling. I don't know. Ninth place for them feels feels right and feels like they're they're probably going to stick around around there. Any stray thoughts about either of those teams? No, I, I pretty much agree, um, and I'm just happy that the that Freiburg didn't lose because I don't think after after Mainz's goal should have been disallowed and somehow an offside was completely overlooked with the the, the video check. I just think it's lucky because nobody would want to see Christian Streich fight uh, Dennis Eidekin. Oh no, no one, yeah, no, no one everybody. wants to see that. <laughs> <laughs> no, because we all hold Christian Streich so dearly and I just can't see that sort of mismatch ending well for him, no matter how angry he, he would have been. So I think it's probably good for him, his family and the, the entire town of Freiburg that they managed to get a point and the controversy was sort of diminished a little bit by that. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you have a Niels Peterson up your sleeve... Anything can happen. It sounds like you would pay a lot of money to see that fight happen. Oh, well, you know, I mean, who doesn't like a good fist fight? Come on. Like, especially, uh, especially one between two untrained untrained fighters. It'd just be real sloppy. I, I could go for it. It's for charity. And finally, uh, Hoffenheim. They were 2-0 they were winners over Bielefeld. Really good performance from Hoffenheim in this one. They probably could or should have, have scored a couple of more goals. And it was the first loss in six for uh, for Bielefeld, which has got to disappoint them a little bit. They kind of had built up a head of steam and were, you know, threatening to extract themselves from the bad place. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Bielefeld at least they'll they'll sort of go into the the rest of the season now knowing, or then all of us knowing that they can put a run together and that they've lifted themselves a little bit out of danger for the time being. Um, as for Hoffenheim, I think we've... How many years has it been now? And it's been the case that Hoffenheim can't play well when, when Andrei Kramaric isn't available. And I think now this is the first time we can see that this might be a good Hoffenheim team, even if Andrei Kramaric isn't there to carry the load. So, uh, yeah, I think they've been excellent lately. I don't think that that's going to end anytime soon. I think Jorginho Ruta looks like one, like he could become one of the biggest talents in the league. And, you know, he had barely played professional football before before this season, and or not from the start of games, and looks impressive every single weekend. And this is them without Kramaric, who remains their star man their key man so Hoffenheim I think yeah as I said earlier I, I'm going to go with Hoffenheim for fourth place and I think they're just going to pip Leipzig to it they've been really really impressive and I don't think it's going to end anytime soon nice I like it a spicy a spicy pick to close out the show Okay, that is it for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct it was produced as always by Aidan Rantel really nice to have you back Lewis thank you thanks Matt it's been a pleasure sweet Sweet. You can follow him, of course, uh, on Twitter, at LG Ambrose. You can subscribe to his excellent uh, substack, Foosball in English, the tastefully named Foosball in English. If you want to contact me, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter. Talking Foosball Extra will be coming up in a couple of days. And, you know, Talking Foosball Fantasy, they have missed the last couple of weeks because of schedule problems. I'm crossing my fingers. I want to see them back at the end of the week. We'll see how it goes. They'll get you ready for Match Day 23 in one way or another, maybe with a Twitter space. We'll see. Yeah, and don't forget that Scandal series continuing on Patreon. This is some Nixon Mullion.